Hey everyone, I'm George Davis. Uh, again, thanks for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're continuing this series entitled, A United Church in a Divided World. And uh, this is our series for the month of August. And throughout this series, we're really talking about, you know, how, how do we as a church family, how do we as a church community live well uh, particularly in the midst of this cultural moment that seems to be very divisive, very polarizing on a number of fronts, on a number of issues. So how do we do that well? And and really to do that well, first of all, we've got to learn to engage each other well, particularly when we disagree. Um, and that's happened over the last year, year and a half. And then we also have to kind of learn how do we engage a broader culture, a broader community in these areas where we disagree. So we'll we'll be talking about that a little later in the series. But last week, we started talking about how we can engage each other well. I mean, how do, how do you and I handle it as, as followers of Christ when we disagree? How do we handle those disagreements in, in our families, in those relationships that are close to us, in, in our live, love, lead groups with, with other people here at church? How do we handle those? How do we handle those situations of disagreement? And as I said, over the last particularly year and a half, there's been a lot that we could differ about. A lot of areas where there seem to be cultural divides from things like COVID to politics to race, lots of things where people seem divided and argumentative. So how do we, particularly as followers of Christ, how do we handle these situations well? Now, as we saw last week, I think it's important for us to draw distinctions between issues that are core beliefs and issues that are personal convictions. We looked at Romans 14, and that really showed that in matters of personal conviction, there's room for us to disagree. Even as a, a church family, we don't have to all, all have, have the same opinion on these issues. We don't all have to be on the same page, and, and that means we don't have to go nuclear on one another when uh, we have these kinds of disagreements. Uh, we just have to learn to navigate these situations well. By the way, if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you uh, to check it out where you can find out more about how to tell the difference between core convictions and, and uh, or core beliefs and personal convictions. And uh, you can find that message at our YouTube page. So I would encourage you to check that out. So this morning, let's just talk a little bit more specifically about how do we how do you and I, how do we handle these situations well when we disagree? I mean, you know, when there's disagreement in your live, love, lead group, when there are disagreements in those relationships, particularly relationships with fellow Christians that are important to you. Now, to give us guidance, uh, we're now going to come to James chapter 3. And uh, by the way, before we get to the chapter, I did want to show you this. Right? Duct tape. Here's why I bring this up. I don't, I don't know if you've seen this on social media. But it, it's been crazy. But over the last few weeks, there have been multiple incidents where uh, flight attendants have had to uh, use duct tape to restrain unruly passengers. Uh, maybe I, my guess is maybe you've seen some of these <laughs> some of these videos. And, and maybe this is exhibit A that we are we, we are really living in tumultuous times. That This is a bit of a crazy season. I mean, whoever thought that duct tape could become a conflict management tool but that's where we're at but hopefully now as we come to this passage all of us all of us would acknowledge you know there's got to be a better way (laughs) there's got to be a better way of dealing with these kinds of situations than than duct tape 
So let's now come to James chapter 3. Now, as we come to this passage, we're going to be in the middle of the chapter. And as we come to this passage, uh, the author, James, is going to be talking about wisdom. So let me ask you this question for you. uh, What does wisdom look like? I mean, when you think about a, um, a wise person, and maybe certain people come to mind, you know, when you think about a wise person, what, what character traits come to mind? What, what does wisdom look like for you in a practical way? Well, maybe your first thought is, you know, well, a wise person is someone who's smart. When you think about wisdom, you think about people who just seem to know lots of things, who have lots of information, right? Someone, maybe there's a person you consider wise in your life. They're kind of a go-to person to you for, for information. They seem to have all the answers. Or maybe when you think about a wise person, the, the person that comes to mind is someone who really, really plans ahead, Maybe you have uh, someone who's close to you, someone you know who, who know well. And for instance, your perception is they've handled money really well. They've done well in making financial decisions, you know, buying a house and, or how they think about certain resources. They've handled that well. They planned ahead. So maybe when you think about wisdom, you think about someone who really plans ahead well, who makes good long-term decisions. But, but how about this? A wise person, among other things, is someone who engages disagreement well. Someone who engages conflict well. Now, as I said in this paragraph, we're going to see James is talking about wisdom. But in the broader context, the the theme of conflict really is evident. I mean, this this discussion of wisdom comes right after... Uh, some observations that uh, James makes about speech, and he shows how devastating our speech can be, how divisive it can be if we are not careful. Likewise, what comes after this conversation about wisdom really addresses conflict specifically. You get to chapter 4, and James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So this, this discussion about wisdom is really set in a broader context that is talking about engaging one another well and, and handling conflict well. And, and so I think as, as James talks about wisdom, he's, he, in the back of his mind, he's, he's also thinking particularly about wisdom in handling conflict. So with that in mind, let's now come to James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, as, as the end of this passage shows, particularly when James is talking about peacemakers, as he's been talking about wisdom, he does really have in mind wisdom that leads to handling conflict well. Now, when you go back to the start of this passage, notice the opening question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, 
Um, I, don't, I don't think those terms are, are quite sim- synonyms. I think the second really builds on the first. It's a little more practical in orientation. And basically he's saying, okay, who is wise and has the ability to put that wisdom into practice in tangible ways? And I think particularly when it relates to conflict. And that question then leads to a contrast because as you go through the rest of the paragraph, you'll notice he, he in essence, draws a contrast between true wisdom and false wisdom. Uh, The false wisdom, he says, is is wisdom that is really earthly. And and I think when when he says it's earthly, this is just kind of the approach to life that follows along the approach that we see around us. It's the approach to life that is natural in, in a world filled with brokenness and sinfulness. And, and this is in contrast to an approach of true wisdom, which really reflects the reality of who God is and the fact that as Christians, we are now identified with him. So let's just think for a moment a little bit more about this wisdom that is earthly. Uh, James says that Uh, included in this earthly wisdom, where it kind of starts is in what he describes as bitter envy and selfish ambition. Interestingly, this is actually the the Greek term that is often translated zeal, and and I I believe that that, that's a legitimate translation for it even in this context, that that maybe what James is talking about here is, is what you might describe as bitter zeal, and it kind of goes along with selfish ambition. And I think it it can include the idea that I become so locked into my views, my approach, (laughs) that that I go over the edge in anger towards you if you disagree with me. And my guess is some of you may have experienced this personally, Uh, maybe even recently. I mean, have have you had one of those conversations where maybe they're just a disagreement and maybe about something interpersonal, maybe about something kind of related to the different cultural realities we're dealing with, and it just felt like this other person was going nuclear on you because they were so passionate about their view and passionate about the fact that you had a different view, and and it, it was just bitter zeal at work, a zeal that goes over the edge. And James says, ultimately, you know what this creates? It creates disorder it creates chaos it creates instability and once again i think some of you know you kind of know what this looks like maybe even now there there are certain relationships in your life where you would say you know these due to some disagreements these relationships have just become chaotic they've become uh, disordered we can't interact with each other well with kind of without getting sucked into conflict and name calling and disagreement and you know our interactions just always seem to go sideways and James says yeah yeah that's this is, this is kind of what happens when we simply fall into the patterns of the broken world around us but of course then he says yet there's a better way And in contrast to the harshness, really, of that earthly approach is the humility that flows out of true wisdom. And here's what that practice looks like. Let's kind of just focus in on, uh, let's focus in on verse 17. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, now notice this, first of all, pure. And, and the, the language he uses here, I think, sets the concept of purity off into its own category. 
Uh, it's like this is, this is foundational to this wisdom. This is the umbrella term that sets the stage for all of the more specific character traits that come after that. So James says, look, if you, if you want to learn to handle these situations well, these disagreements well, if you learn how to kind of engage those people in your life, in your live, love, lead group well, even when you disagree, the, the foundation to really doing that well is purity. Now, I realize immediately, maybe it, it feels like, okay, well, that, that's, that's just an incredible standard. Because let's be honest, I'm not, am I always pure? No. I mean, are my thoughts, huh, actions always pure? No. Particularly when I get heated in a disagreement or I get frustrated with this person's been putting online or, you know, kind of positions they take or assumptions they're making. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to keep my thoughts pure when I think about that person. And maybe you have that person in your life that has just really irritated you in the course of some disagreement. But remember, in Scripture, um, the theme of purity, I think, is, is also, also linked with the theme of, of dedication, of commitment, with a, a focus on God. So really, in a practical way, I think James is saying, okay, this, this better way to handling conflict, this better way to handling disagreements begins when we, as followers of Christ, we really focus and acknowledge that relationship. I acknowledge my identity as a follower of Jesus. I acknowledge the reality of who God is. And the deal is, I want to engage these hard situations from this posture of who I am as a follower of Christ. So that really sets the stage, I think, for all, for all that James is going to say. And then, of course, James unpacks um, these character traits further, kind of, you know, just different dimensions of what this wisdom to handle situations well is going to look like in, in everyday life. Now, um, you can't communicate this in English, unfortunately, but they're lexical and grammatical clues that the remaining character traits actually fall into three different groupings. And I like to think of these as really three different dimensions of, of this wisdom in action. And so l- let me show you this. Kind of three different dimensions to this wisdom if we break down the three groupings of character traits in the rest of James 3.17. So I think the, the first grouping really deals with the issue of mindset. Uh, James says you, you need to be peace-loving. And, and considerate, and uh, it's translated submissive, but I think what he's getting at is we need to be open to reason. So there, there's a certain mindset that we need to adapt, and, and that mindset then leads to action. It, that mindset to lead, should lead to actions that are full of mercy and good fruit. And along the way, you know what, this, this is going to get complicated. Maybe along the way it's easy to give up. Maybe along the way it becomes easy, you know, to fight fire with fire. They got frustrated with me, so I'm going to do that back to them. And so really the last grouping, I think, deals with the issue of determination, of hanging in there to try to live out this reason, uh, this, this way of life, even when it becomes complicated. And um, I realize uh, the NIV translation, which we are using, translates this phrase impartial. But I think the way this word group is used elsewhere in the book supports the idea of unwavering. So I think, I think at the end of this list, he says, even in the midst of how hard this can be, we need to be unwavering and unhypocritical. So let's just, 
let's just start to unpack this just a little bit and kind of see if we can drill down in terms of what this is going to look like. I think in handling these hard situations, well, um, I, I think it requires a particular mindset. I mean, in the midst of conflict and disagreement, uh, I think particularly pay attention to the, that theme of peace-loving. I need, a, I need <laughs> a mindset that is really deeply rooted in the theme of peace in Scripture. And, of course, when we pack that, I think we, we ultimately uh, then link into that, that, that Hebrew concept of shalom, right? And, and that concept of shalom, it, it's, it's, it's about peace, but it's not just about peace. It's about wholeness, a wholeness where things are working together. That's really God's vision for the world he created. A a wholeness where relationships are working together. A wholeness where people are brought back into relationship with God and, and that shalom is ultimately a central outcome of God's plan of restoration that is now at work in the gospel. And this may seem idealistic, but I think, you know, particularly when maybe we're disagreeing, particularly when we've got conflicts, we get frustrated because you look at this cultural issue one way and I look at it another, particularly in that moment. Our mindset needs to be one where we haven't lost sight of this bigger reality that, that God's plan is ultimately creating shalom. That's the direction of, of what he is doing, Right? And after all, if we're followers of Christ through the work of Christ, we've now become a part of this plan of restoration. We've become part of this plan of shalom building, of wholeness. And let's be honest, clearly it's a work in progress. I mean, we see, right, you've said it, I've seen a lot of dysfunctional churches where it doesn't feel like there's a lot of progress in this shalom building and this togetherness, and that's true. It's a plan that will not be fully complete, fully recognized until Christ returns. But in the meantime, that plan is still underway, even though at times it's hard to see it, particularly in a chaotic moment like this. And yet, as a follower of Christ, if I'm going to, if I'm going to kind of concretely live out this Christian wisdom, this biblical wisdom when we disagree, I need to have this kind of mindset that hasn't lost sight of the bigger storyline. Because sometimes, you know, in this moment where, you know, in our families, we've got, we've got this conflict. In our groups, we've got this disagreement. In those key relationships, we've got this, uh, you know, misunderstanding. Sometimes in those moments, uh, that disagreement becomes so all-consuming that I lose sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, this is a hard moment. This is a fractured moment. But even this moment will ultimately prove to be part of a bigger storyline of God's plan of restoration. And so even in this fractured moment, I can choose simply to be overwhelmed by the the moment. I can choose to be overwhelmed by my anger or fear in this moment. I can choose to have a mindset that says, okay, this is hard, but take a deep breath and remember, George, this is part of a bigger storyline. I gotta be honest with you. That I've had this has been part of my journey over the last year. I mean, we, you know, we've been, it's been a crazy season, and we've dealt with more conflict than I've experienced in church before here, and disagreements. And sometimes I just got I've got to take a deep breath and say, "Oh, this is hard. This is, I'm not sure I signed up for this." And yet, even this is part of a bigger storyline. So I, I want to live. I want a mindset that says, even in the midst of this craziness, I want I want to engage this moment 
with an attitude that reflects the bigger storyline of what God is doing in terms of bringing about peace and restoration. So I need this, I need this perspective in mind. Otherwise, I think I'll, I'll just be swept away by the emotion of the moment, by the weightiness of this moment. And unfortunately, maybe you, you've seen that happen firsthand. So I need a, a peace-loving mindset that is attuned to the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I think when I have that kind of peace-loving mindset, it, it, just, it makes it easier, more natural for me to be considerate and, and just open to reason, open to call, talking through disagreement and opening to that kind of dialogue. But that mindset, right, that kind of broader perspective then needs to lead it really needs to lead to some tangible action. So it, it needs to lead to actions that are full are of mercy and good fruit. You know, I think it's interesting in, um, in this passage, as, as James is talking about true wisdom, that he uses agricultural imagery, right? I mean, later in the passage, he will say, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so it's almost like he's saying, look, I know you're in this moment where there's a lot of conflict, a lot of disagreement, and I know you're in this moment where it can be easy just to kind of handle handle it the way everybody around you is handling it. I mean, people are going nuclear on one another. You might as well just do that as well. And, and, And all of, you know, there's some really unfortunate interaction going on. You can just be a part of that. But, but as followers of Christ, I want you to live differently. And I'm, I, w- I want you to have a mindset that really is shaped by the bigger picture of, of what God is doing, that God is creating peace and restoration so, so that you're willing to say, I want, I, want to, I want to engage the situation in light of that new identity as part of this bigger project. And then with that mindset, I want you to take actions that sow peace. I want you to plant seeds of peace in this relationship. Now, in some ways, that's not a guarantee that they'll always bear good fruit, or it's not a guarantee that it's always going to come out as you would like it. But I want you to take steps, action steps, that sow seeds of peace. I want you to take action steps that could potentially move this relationship in a positive direction. So what are some of those steps? What are some of those seeds that we could plant? Well, there are a lot of things we could talk about in terms of handling disagreement well, but l- let me just mention a couple. And, and the first one I'm going to mention, it, it, is, it, it is so absolutely basic, I'm almost embarrassed to mention it, and yet I think it is absolutely critical in this, in this moment. So what are, what's an important action step that I need to take when we have disagreement, when I find myself maybe in some harder conversations or you know, harder places and relationships that are value to me, what's an important action step that I need to take? I, I think foundationally, foundationally, I need to listen. In my reading this week, I, I came across this quote, to refuse to listen is to refuse to love. I thought that, that's right. And interestingly, James gives us this very specific advice earlier in the book. Because you, you, you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, and he says, look, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, 
the more you reflect on it, I think the more you realize how profound James' counsel, his advice uh, here is. I think all of us would acknowledge the importance of listening. And, you know, if, you, if you're married, you went through premarital uh, counseling, maybe at some point you, you talked about, you know, listening well and learning to listen. All of us know that listening is important to uh, good relationships. Uh, but James, James highlights something that we don't always talk about, and that, that's the relationship between listening and speaking, right? You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And those two themes uh, are interrelated. And the truth is, for me to do more of this, I have to do less of this. And and that that can be a challenging lesson, I think, for some of us to learn. This is where it gets hard, right? Because here's the deal. In the midst of this disagreement, I want to get my point across, right? In the midst of this disagreement, I I want to dismantle your arguments and explain to you where you are wrong. And particularly, I've got to be honest with you, particularly for me, uh, I'm I'm wired as a teacher. And sometimes I I can tell you some, some of these conversations I've had over the last year and a half with people even here at the church that I'd really like to have over because at times I kind of clicked into teaching mode and I wasn't listening. I had to make my point. I want you to hear my argument. And the truth is, if you found yourself in kind of one of these conversations, it's like we can even reach the point where we're talking past each other, right? Because we're both trying to make our point. We're both trying to uh, make our argument. We're both trying to dismantle the argument of the other, and, and, and nobody's listening. And everybody's talking, and everybody's just getting more angry in the process. So how can, how can I be more intentional? in being quick to hear and slow to speak. I I think one of the keys in listening well, and one of the keys in listening in such a way that I don't dominate the conversation just to make my point, one of the keys in doing that is asking questions. I mean, what, what if in these conversations... What if in these conversations, you know, sometimes when we're talking through differences or kind of differences of opinion, what if in these conversations, what if my primary goal wasn't simply to make my point? What if my primary goal was to ask good questions? What if I really went into that conversation saying, I really want to know more about that person and where they're coming from by the end of this conversation? How would that change the dynamic? if I really focused on asking good questions rather than simply trying to make my point. I think, uh, just to be transparent, you know, kind of one of the areas where I've really had to work on this has been in parenting. As I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wired as a teacher, and so particularly with my kids, I want, to te- I want to explain things to you. I want to tell you how to do things. I want to teach you. And at times, listening has been a challenge for me. Uh, and, and particularly when we've reached places of disagreement, this, this, this has been unhelpful if I'm just always trying to teach and pound information or make my point. And so for me as a dad, one of the things I really had to be intentional in doing was you know, creating rhythms and patterns where I, I, I really tried to be intentional in asking questions. 
So for those of you who are parents, let me just encourage you to think about this. I don't know what this looks like for you, and it varies in different seasons of parentinghood, and you kind of have to do it in age-appropriate ways. But, but for me, one of the things that was an important rhythm was just to connect with my sons on a regular basis when we were kind of one-on-one, and, and I tried to just be intentional in asking good questions. So for us, that often meant either doing something like breakfast or making a sheets run and, you know, over some drinks and a bucket of fries and some wings. I just tried to be intentional in asking questions. And often it would start with, so, hey, how's it going with? And I might mention a relationship. I might mention a class. I might mention a project. And I just wanted, I just wanted to check in, you know, kind of. You know, you know, what's going on? Kind of where you're at. And depending on how that question was answered, I'd kind of maybe go a little deeper. So what do you think about that? Or how are you feeling about that? And kind of just try to do a gut check, a heart. Just kind of tell me what's going on. What's churning? What are you excited about? And then sometimes, particularly when these were uh, challenging situations, maybe that they're trying to work through, we, we, maybe we'd have a, a further conversation. Okay, so what do you think? You're, what's, what, what's your next step here? How do you, what do you think it looks like to handle this well? What do you think it looks like to handle this well as a follower of Christ? And, and you know, just try to ask good questions to kind of, kind of see where you're at, to see what you're thinking and feeling, and see kind of what you perceive as the next step and what that might look like. And now I've got to be honest with you, a lot of those conversations were pretty mundane. They were pretty ordinary. Not a lot of conversation even, even when I ask open-ended questions. But we, we just kept doing it. And sometimes there were just real clear moments that were aha moments for me as a dad. Oh, that's just given me some great insight into understanding what you're thinking and where you're coming from. It's given me great insight and understanding, you know, maybe on some points of disagreement, why you think the way you do. And so I think we've, we've got to get in the habit of asking good questions. And I think one reason whether we're talking about parenting or whether we're talking about these other kinds of relationships, one reason listening is important is this. If we don't listen, we make assumptions. (laughs) If we don't listen, we make assumptions, and sometimes those assumptions aren't true. I mean, hasn't this happened to you? You've had a disagreement, a difference of opinion with someone, and different perspective, and in the course of of the conversation it just becomes clear they just made some assumptions about you assumptions that may not be true it feels right now that so much of our cultural debate on a variety of issues is framed in us versus them thinking and and once we divide people into those different groups we make assumptions about the people in those other groups and and oftentimes the the assumptions just aren't true well, if you believe that, you're a racist. If you believe that, you're a liberal. And all the assumptions go on and on. And see, we need to be aware. This is one of the reasons listening is so important. If we, if we don't listen, we make assumptions. And often those assumptions are not true. So what if instead of making assumptions in this point of disagreement, what instead we ask good questions like, we ask good questions like, well, tell me what's shaped your convictions, Right? Tell me what's really shaped it. Tell me, how did you arrive at your position? Because sometimes there's a fascinating story there. And, and in understanding that, even though we may not, we may not see it eye to eye, we can, there's just a greater appreciation of who we are and who this person is and where they're coming from. 
So I think a, a major step in really sowing <laughs> seeds of peace is learning to listen. And that includes asking good questions. Very quickly, uh, just I'll just mention a couple of <laughs> other maybe helpful steps uh, that, that we can take in, in really sowing seeds of peace. Uh, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, but not only do we need to listen, I think we also need to, now hear me clearly, we need to achieve disagreement. We need to achieve disagreement. You see, because here's what happens. So often our conflict, in, in the heat of the moment, and, and maybe the assumptions that we make, our, our, our conflict includes both disagreement as well as a lot of misunderstanding. So I think it's helpful when we try to ask good questions and kind of hear one another. It's helpful to kind of see if we can understand what's the exact point of disagreement. Here, just a recent, um, I'll just give you, a, once again, a family story, recent example in my own life. So one of our sons has just come back from a trip to South America. I've got to be honest with you, when he first started talking about this, it was a source of conflict. Rose and I were very concerned about safety and security, you know, and couldn't you choose to go somewhere else? And there was, there was some headbutting in this. I won't deny it. There was some conflict here. But I realized in the course of some of our interactions, which sometimes felt like they were going a little bit sideways, uh, there was some growing misunderstanding. Because you see, for my son, when we started to raise our concerns, what he was hearing more and more of was, you don't trust me. You don't. You don't think I can make wise decisions. You don't trust the people that I'm going with. You don't trust the fact that they, they know the local areas and they will keep us out of trouble. And so I realized, man, we've got, we've got, there's some fog of misunderstanding here. We've got, to, we've got to get that out of the way. We need to achieve disagreement. And so, you know, I just had to explain, look, I realize we, it may feel like we're, over, we're overacting or overreacting as, as parents. But I said, one of the things you need to understand, and this is part of where I, I wanted him to know where we were coming from, to understand part of what was shaping our thinking. I said, look, you need to understand, between us, your mother and I have, we've known three people who have died, who've been killed in acts of terrorism. So we take that seriously. I mean, that's kind of a red flag for us. And so, you know, we've got concerns when you're traveling in an area where that might happen. But I realize that we may have communicated to you that we don't trust you, and I just want to take that off the table. I want you to know we do trust you, and we trust the fact that you've, you've made connections with people that can keep you safe. It's just maybe the issue of disagreement is, is how we evaluate risk and, and what that looks like. But I'm, even though we disagree on that, I, I am trusting you in, in this process. So I think we have to not only listen, we have to we have to achieve disagreement. And finally, can we acknowledge common ground? And I, I think this is particularly for true for us as believers. I mean, can you, can you somehow in some of these conversations <laughs> kind of turn the end of the conversation to acknowledge, okay, here's where we've disagreed, and, and maybe I hear where you're coming from, but I, I, I still have a different opinion, but here's what we have in common as believers. You know, we, maybe we're, we haven't looked at COVID the same way and we thought differently about uh, federal guidance and, and all of this, but, but we, we, you know, can we acknowledge we really do, we really do value life and, and we really do want our country and our culture to get past this. And we really wish the best for the people who are serving and, you know, can we, can we acknowledge common ground? So I think those are, those are several kinds of seeds that we can sow that are seeds of peace. Just, I've got to learn to listen, right? I've got to, and then I've got to ask good questions. I want to know where you're coming from. 
And, and, and in the heat of the moment, let's, let's try to get rid of the misunderstanding. Let's, let's see if we can achieve disagreement. And, even, and once we've done that, let's not lose sight, particularly as fellow believers, of what we have in common. So, I need a particular mindset rooted in this amazing work of peace that God's doing that leads to certain actions that sow seeds of peace. And, and finally, I think I need, I need the determination to hang in there. Determination to not be scared of the messiness, to not be scared of, oh, this is, this is awkward or this is conflict. I, I need to be willing to engage. Now, once again, it, it's so much easier <laughs> to do things differently. It's so much easier just to go with a flow of dissension and discord and disunity and chaos. But James says there really is a better way. Now realize, we've, man, we've gone through a lot of this text. We've gone through a lot of information in the course of this message. So maybe what I want to leave you with is just this acronym, right? And you, I don't know if you noticed it yet. The, uh, but the first letter of each of these terms forms the word mad. And so that's what I want to leave you with. Maybe it's a bit hokey. If so, I apologize. But maybe that's a way to kind of hang some hooks that help you remember what we've talked about. In these moments of tension, how do I handle those situations where I get mad? M-A-D. I need a mindset. A mindset rooted in God's peace. I need to take action in sowing seeds of peace that can move this relationship in a positive direction. And I need the determination to hang with it even when it gets messy. Again, there are other ways to do it. There are easier ways to do it. But James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, even as we talked about how we engage one another and what that looks like. I, I pray particularly for those of us that in the context of watching this, this isn't just a theoretical conversation. This is very personal. I pray for some of us where there's real, there's real tension or estrangement even in our families. I pray for some of us that are really wrestling with, you know, I don't know how to talk to my kids or my grandkids. I pray for those who are saying, you know what, I don't know how to talk to my parents or my grandparents. And, and it feels like, these these interactions cycle into negativity so quickly. I pray for some of us that we, we've wrestled with relationships here at church, and we we don't we don't really get why some people have done what they've done or said what they've said, or we don't get the where they're coming from and, and stuff they say online or our conversations we've had in our level of lead groups, and we're kind of just wrestling through that, and that's gotten messy. Father, in all these situations, it's easy just to kind of a <laughs> fuel the chaos the instability. But I pray that, that we would really wrestle with what James says, that there really is, there really is a better way. As, as we lean into our relationship with you, a, a better way that, that starts with a certain mindset committed to the program of peace that you now have underway that leads to actions where we're just trying to sow seeds of peace and not just fuel the flames of, of intensity and anger. And even as we take those actions, just a determination to how this, this feels messy, it feels awkward. Sometimes these conversations are 
are hard, but Father, help help us lead into that without fear or simply walking away or without simply ending the relationship. And I pray we, we would do that because we see this is this is part of this bigger reality of what you are doing. And even in the midst of <laughs> of all this chaos and division, I pray that even now we could realize just as we plant seeds, the seeds the seeds can reap a harvest. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I encourage you, particularly in those chaotic relationships that you may be experiencing right now. <laughs> so seeds of righteousness. So seeds of righteousness. Amen.